0: gave in to Coach A.C. just just coming after us all the time. He said, look, you guys will love it. You know, we're going to have fun. i will give you a stick. So you don't have to worry about this. And, you know, just be athletes. He always talked about, hey, things you do in football or do on the basketball court, you can do the same things in lacrosse. Obviously, there's some extra elements here with the stick and the passing catching. But he said, don't worry about it. You'll get there. Don't get frustrated with that. I want you to be athletes out on this field. We fell in love with it. And that very first year of playing lacrosse, we ended up having the elements to go all the way to the New York State High School Lacrosse Championship.
1: Welcome to the Fred Opie Show, where we share life lessons through lacrosse journeys. I'm your host, Fred Opie, a former Syracuse University and U.S. National Team lacrosse player. Today on the Fred Opie Show, we interview... All-American defenseman from Hobart College in Henniker High School, Tim Clark. You learn about how a coach mentors players, how a coach can introduce the sport of lacrosse to some great athletes, how you communicate with your athletes to give them the confidence they need. Then we go on to hear about Tim's recruiting story. Again, think about this. this guy plays one year of high school lacrosse, and he goes on to be recruited by. Richie Moran of Cornell University and Dave York at Hobart College who he ultimately goes to play for Dave York. So we get to hear from the inside perspective of one of his players what it was like to play for Hall of Fame coach Dave York. Tim blew out his knee he'll talk about that experience so if you have a student athlete or you are a student athlete and you're recovering from knee surgery there is life after knee surgery. How do you as a coach communicate with players that give them the confidence they need to move forward. And how do you make sure when they get injuries, they don't get lost in the sauce. And before you know it, they're flunking out of school. So there's a lot of things to learn here. And if you're from football country, you're going to love the story of Tim Clark and what I call the Henniger 80, the Henniger team that wins the New York state championship in the year 1980. That's today on the Fred Opie Show. Yeah, folks, you can hear. I'm excited. You should get excited. Get someplace where you can really listen to this interview because it is awesome. I was born in a,
0: a small town in Georgia called Brunswick, Brunswick, Georgia. It was, it's on the coast, about an hour from Jacksonville, Florida. And I moved to Syracuse, New York, where I ended up growing up when I was about six or seven years old. My mom had passed away, and my oldest sister and brother had already moved to Syracuse, to raise their families. I was taken in by my oldest sister, and she raised me up in Syracuse.
1: So how old were you when you came to New York?
0: About six years old. I'm the youngest of four. The oldest is 21 years older than I am, Sister Lois. The youngest and closest in age to me, my sister Shirley, 10 years older than I am. I Basically, when my mom passed away, my dad was not really in the picture a lot. He was pretty much an alcoholic, and they decide, hey, he was not gonna pay over raising me. So off to Syracuse, New York, I went.
1: Jim Brown's family is, I think, from St. Simons? Is that where he's from? And
0: that's exactly the same area. Brunswick is the city that you have to go through to get to St. Simons Island, Jekylls, and Sea Island. I've met Mr. Brown a couple times, and we've talked about that a little bit.
1: Why Syracuse?
0: She was actually in college down in Georgia They had a real big shortage of teachers in Syracuse, and she got recruited to come up there. About 65 or so.
1: So this is the time of the civil rights movement.
0: Exactly. They moved me up to Syracuse in the middle of winter. I had never seen snow before.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) So yeah, talk about a shock to my system. Yeah, everything was different for me.
1: Let's jump to high school. What was it like to play at Hinnegar, and particularly for, for Coach AC?
0: It was a pleasure. He was the first coach in my life who had a knack of connecting with all the athletes. On a personal level, just to get to know you and figure out what makes you tick. This is how I fell into lacrosse, because of him. I was, thought I was going to college to play football. Coach AC tried to recruit me to play lacrosse you know, early on at Henniger, me and a couple of my other buddies, Drum Hall. So he tried to recruit all of us to play lacrosse. And finally, in our junior year, we said, all right, we're going to try this. So my junior year, me, Jerome, um, and about two other guys, all African-Americans, and we are like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this together. Horace Allen, Maurice, I forget Maurice's last name. Three of us ended up going to, on to college to play Obviously, football and lacrosse. The drum and I obviously played lacrosse in college. A horse ended up just playing football at, Ho- at Hobart Heat. Our junior year of high school, we gave in to Coach AC just just coming after us all the time. Said, look, you guys will love it. You know, we're going to have fun. I'll give you a stick. You don't have to worry about this. And, you know, just be athletes. He always talked about, hey, things you do in football or do on the basketball court, you can do the same things in lacrosse. Obviously, there's some extra elements here with the stick and the passing, catching. But he said, don't worry about it. You'll get there. Don't get frustrated with that. I want you to be athletes out on this field. We fell in love with it. And that very first year of playing lacrosse, we ended up having the elements to go all the way to the New York State High School Lacrosse Championship. It was unbelievable. There were obviously a lot of guys who'd been playing for a while. They knew what they were doing. We had no clue what we are doing. We were just being taught game by game and <laughs> practice by practice. We ended up, we were a force, all of us, the whole team. We beat West Genesee, we beat Yorktown in the finals. And it was a situation where, I'll never forget this stat, our defense averaged giving up
1: 3.2 goals a game, the whole year. Did Coach AC coach football?
0: Coach AC used to coach football as well, yeah. You know, football and lacrosse kind of went together, especially what I remember. That's how lacrosse came on board, because Coach Ac was the football coach in the fall, and then he got a lot of those
1: guys to play lacrosse in the spring as well. Now, Coach Ac is he a Cortland State guy, do you know? You got it. Tell us about some of those players. You mentioned Jerome Hall. This guy is an inside linebacker at Syracuse when I'm there. And Jerome probably was a little smaller and a whole lot faster, because he had a knee injury, yeah, I think his first year. So before his knee injury, I think he's a legitimate 4'7", 40 guy? Oh. oh,
0: definitely, definitely. Played DB, played uh, you know running back. I mean, I was a fullback.
1: Man, I played for the first time in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. It takes me two years of just being loving the game but terrified and scared because I don't know anything about the rules or anything. That's like, <laughs> yeah. How did you guys do that that fast?
0: It had a lot to do with Coach A.C. Him instilling in us that we could do this. The next step was learning the game. He did it in a way in which it wasn't intimidating. I'll never forget this. A lot of the conversation we had was about don't worry about all these rules. Yeah, I'll tell you or we'll tell you when you did something wrong. Uh, but yeah, there's some basic things that you don't do. But bottom line, don't get caught up with trying to learn everything all at once. So that was a piece. The next piece was just it's about you taking the athletic skills and abilities that we already had, that we've learned in other sports, and transferring to lacrosse. Lacrosse, honestly, is like basketball <laughs> out on the field. A combination of hockey or football. There's a lot of aspects of these other sports that lacrosse, you, you can utilize the same skill sets, the same you know, op- mode of operation. Playing defense... He said, don't let the guy get past you. I was like, is that it? (laughs) I'm going to give you a six-foot stick, and you can actually hit him a little bit, too. All of a sudden, these guys are running right at you, thinking they're going to run past you. I was like, well, if I hit you and you go down on the ground, you can't run any
1: further. Take me to some of the regular season games. You're playing against Jamesville DeWitt?
0: Yes. J.D., Nottingham, Corcoran did, Phillip Manlius, Baldwinville, all those schools.
1: You guys outstanding in football then, too?
0: We actually played Liverpool for the section, what was that? that was section three championship that year. So we had a strong football team. We had a lot of all-conference players and a lot of people transferring, play lacrosse as well. So we had athletes, people who could get it done on the field.
1: Tim is like me. We, we're not black. We're cold black.
0: Oh, exactly.
1: <laughs> there is no doubting where we come from. Did you have to deal with any of that kind of stuff at a way game?
0: We heard the fans on the sideline calling us the N-word. I'll never forget going up to Watertown, you know, and hearing that, you know, shouted out from the sidelines and stuff like that. You know, what we doing out there, you know, we don't know what we're doing, all this stuff. So the thing about it, though, our teammates had our back. We were supported. We didn't let those people, the ignorance of some people, take away what finding out was an exciting game to play.
1: What are some of the things that you did or you learned from teammates or coaches on how to deal with that kind of harassment.
0: One of the things I always tell to my athletes is that the mental game is even probably even more important than the physical game. You got to have the motivation and the focus and the drive to persevere through any challenges that you're going to come through. And when it comes to racism and and people just using that as a tool to kind of get underneath your skin, you have to be even stronger. Again, it comes down to the support around you. That game went a long way with the folks, everyone I played with, and everyone who I associated with, uh, having the support I needed to persevere through those challenging uh, moments as well.
1: You guys go on undefeated season?
0: Didn't have undefeated, but at the same time, we had a great season. The first biggest win was beating West Genesee for the Section 3 championship. We have never come close to that before, and, or afterwards, I would say. Then winning the state championship played down in Long Island. I remember
1: that. Game against West Jenny. You're playing against, gosh, Hall of Famer Brad Cotts. Exactly. Hall of Famer Todd Curry. U.S. National Team player Randy Powers. You're talking Jeff Desco, first-team All-American defense. I mean, this is yeah. a whole list of people on that West Jenny team that went on to be first-team All-Americans, U.S. National Team players. Incredible. Tell me first about the West Jenny game and what you remember.
0: Going into that game just focused. Everyone on our team, because everyone outside of Henniger didn't give us a shot. They thought we were going to get killed. All those names you just mentioned, unbelievable players, they knew the game left and right. They knew how all the fancy passing, all that stuff. I mean, they could get the ball in the back of the net. But we knew what we could do. We knew that if we stayed together as a team and just worked our butt off and just played our best, that we at least had a chance. One of the biggest positive things that we had going for us was our defense. We had a very talented defense, a talented goalie. Once it came down to it, they couldn't get past our guys. They couldn't get clean shots off. That they couldn't get that done. So that gave us a chance. Guys, in offense. You know, I don't know if you remember Burnham. He played for Henniger. A lot of guys have enough lacrosse skills, and they could get things done for us offensively as well as defensively. We all believed in one another. Everybody else didn't give us a chance. We believed in each other.
1: People should know when we talked about this, the, the number of noted players on West Jenny, but let's just go to Henniger. On offense, you got Mark Burnham, one of my teammates, the head high school coach at uh, IMG down in Florida now. Rick Vashon, a yep. fantastic attackman. Herkimer played Hobart's B team, and that dude, he had his way with me. Eric Jeske, another one of my Syracuse teammates. There were no slouches.
0: Sal and Gotti, a bunch of guys who ended up playing football when they went off to college. We had people.
1: Probably the least experienced lacrosse players might have been U3 or U4. You got it. You guys are not little folks.
0: Oh, we're big. What Coach did was create a uh, defensive midfield line because we didn't have the passing catching skills right away. We picked up the ball that we are putting in one hand. We are trying to run down the field that way. They used to call it the black attack. When that d midi line came out, you bet the other opposing team that they knew that, you know, it's going to be a tough job trying to get, get to the goal. Yeah, I only played lacrosse one year in high school, and that was my junior year. The practice before our first game in lacrosse, in high school, I ended up stepping in a hole and just tearing some cartilage, so I didn't even play my senior year. I've been re- being recruited by a lot of football schools. Cornell was after me at some schools out west. My school, in my senior year, I'm getting these letters and calls from lacrosse coaches as well. Hobart had already, the football team coach had already been recruiting me, as well as a bunch of us there. All of a sudden, I'm going starting to go on these visits, and... They want me to meet with the lacrosse coach as well as the football coach. Rich Moran, he wanted me to come to Cornell like you would not believe. I thought I wanted to be an engineer at that time, mm-hmm. and he kept trying to tell me, "Well, don't apply to engineering school and go through the ag school and all this stuff." I stuck to my guns, and of course, they laughed my application right out the door. <laughs> I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Applied to a number of other schools like Hobart. Uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, um, Hamilton, RPI, a number of really good solid schools as well. And I thought, well, if I want to play both sports, I probably need to go to a
1: smaller school. So you end up going to Hobart and you did two sports the whole time?
0: Not the whole time. Uh, a couple of years I did football and lacrosse. Ended up uh, blowing out my knee at the end of my uh, freshman year. And we're invited to play in this uh, thing called Lacrosse International down at Homewood Field at John Hopkins, playing against Team Canada. And I twisted my knee and blew it out. So that was it, my football career.
1: You were starting as a freshman playing lacrosse?
0: Not starting because there were a lot of great players ahead of me, but getting time.
1: The show will be right back. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. The best way to support the podcast is to tell a friend. Share the show on Facebook and Twitter or send them to our website at fredopi.com. Tim Clark talks about the experience of playing against a talented West Tennessee team in the Section 3 Finals in 1980. A member of that team was Todd Curry. Let's take a listen to an interview we've done with him on The Fred Opie Show.
2: Teaching the little things that make a big difference and as little kids at five, six, seven years of age, It's talking about um, the ground balls, the the picking up and moving the ball, advancing to your teammates. That makes the team better. Learning how to play the game with both hands to become more dangerous. Things like that that I sort back to from Coach Harris. I played in that program where you would basically play on 4 by 4 cages on four or five different fields. Gave you the chance to play. And then secondly, the feedback system came from all the former players that went through West Jenny that were out playing college across that worked there in the summer. You were getting these college kids who played through Mike's system and you were getting this consistent theme of how to play the game. And I think that was the root of really why that program took off. Every kid was learning basically the coach Missara Way or West Jenny Way in that program for six weeks. And that started when you were playing at eleven years of age. But back then, I think that was one of the foundations of where West Jenny built its power and um, domination on, was everyone was being taught the same things consistently every summer by the same people who excelled in that program and lacrosse in general.
1: You can find this interview and others in the archive of The Fred Opie Show. Go to fredopie.com and look for a link to the podcast. Now back to the interview with Tim Clark. What was your major at Hobart?
0: Ended up majoring in sociology and minor in education. Early on, I thought I wanted to be an engineer and I started taking, and I really went to Hobart to be what they, in what they called the 3-2 program. Get that liberal arts degree at Hobart for three years and go on to an engineering school. As I started to take the courses, I really quickly learned I really, this wasn't a good fit for me. Realized that I need to find what really fit me. I really enjoyed what was going on in the sociology classes, the education classes, and really had my eyesight on being like a teacher or working in city government. I really do believe that as you're in high school and you're looking at colleges, you have to keep your eyes open. I'm going through this with my son right now, who's a junior in high school, you know, trying to just make sure he keeps his options open. But at the same time, yeah, you've got to figure out what is your aptitude for things, what classes in high school really intrigues you, what things you really like, the teachers you look forward to to engaging in conversations. I think that really speaks a lot to what possibly your major might be in college and what career path you may end up following. Because it really comes down to you as an individual and what what drives you, what really is gonna get you up in the morning to go to work. I know for a fact why I decided chose engineering initially it was because i had a teacher in high school at one time it was a, a math teacher and it was in calculus class she asked me why are you here she said you're never going to make anything of math wi- in in your life and i was like that was the worst thing she could have told me because that motivated me i i'm going to show her but the reality was no it wasn't i was doing it because i was going to college and i needed that class if she hadn't said that i may not have chose or decided that engineering was my first choice. But I struggled in, in college, man, a little bit. And, you know, I got caught up. This kid from Georgia trying to get acclimated to everything. I mean, I partied too much. But at the same time, you know, I knew I had the aptitude. blew up my knee. You know, I got kind of disconnected sometimes a little bit. But that, then Coach Yurk was a great coach who really helped pull me back in. Had my challenges when I was in co- college. I ended up being there at Hobart for five years but it was the best five years of my life. The people I met, the experiences I had, and and the education I ended up getting has really propelled me to where I am now.
1: What was special about playing for Dave Yurk?
0: One of my best mentors, best individuals I've ever come across. Coach Yurk, to this day, I consider him as a friend, as a father figure, a mentor, everything. He helped me in so many ways off the field as much as he did on the field. He was a key reason for me to stay at Hobart and get my degree because so many times I could have been gone back to Syracuse and Lord knows what I've been doing. It was because of his just caring attitude and just how he worked with every young man that was under his charge uh, is the reason why all of us who had the pleasure of being coached by him have been successful in our lives. I honestly can say I owe my life to him because I know that if he wasn't in my corner, if he wasn't there to encourage me to stay, even when I wasn't even playing lacrosse when I blew up my knee, he was always talking to me. He was always pulling me in, keeping me around. He had me coaching the 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 JV team there, you know, just to, you yeah. know helping out and stuff like that. He got kept me involved. He and that his his wife and his and his kids were always very instrumental in my
1: life. Some of the things that uh, came from the Dave Yurik toolkit that you use as a coach.
0: How you develop relationships with your players. you got to have honest and good, and good relationships with each and every one of your players. Getting to know them, what makes them tick, figuring out, okay, what motivates them, and using that to help them to be the best player they can. One of the things that Coach Yurik always talked about living up to our own individual abilities. Everybody's different. Get out there and do your best and try to play your best always. Your character goes a long way too. He Demanded the best, he expected the best. He expected you to be a good citizen, a good person. Those are things that I've always looked for and tried to instill in my players as well. The other thing too is just uh, making sure you're having fun. His jokes, his dry humor, I mean, just to keep it light. And we had some of the tensest moments over the years I was at Hobart winning those championships, but he kept it light. He'd be cracking jokes on the bus, you know, stuff like that, getting on the loudspeaker. And, and, <laughs> I mean, just, I could just tell you story after story. You never know what he was going to say when we got in the huddle either. You know, like we could be down by two goals and championship game and he'd crack a joke or say something that totally get your mind off of, this, so, hey guys, let's just have fun. <laughs> let's just go out there and play. And that's what he always kept it real. And that's what I've learned a lot
1: from him. How did you pay for college?
0: I did have a lot of loans that so had to pay off. I qualified for a lot too. I was being raised in a family by my sister who raised me and her two daughters all by herself. So when it came to qualifying for financial aid, I was the poster child. Hobart, Division three at the time I played there, no athletic scholarships. Academically in high school, I did well, so, so there were a number of other grants and scholarships that I qualified for as well. I was one of those student athletes who I had a job <laughs> all the time, worked a lot out of the carpenter's office, you know, during the summer to make extra money and, or during the year. I had to find ways to make sure the bills are paid,
1: do you know about how much you had in student loans when, it, when you were all done, about what the amount was?
0: At least twelve
1: or $15,000 $15, at least. You have a son who's a junior, yep. and now you're making that decision with him. Right. How has your experience, where you went to school, how far away you were from home, uh, financially, having to pay back those student loans, how is that informing the decision you're helping him make now?
0: But they are the same. It really does come down to being very conscious of the cost factor, whether you stay in state or go out of state. uh, All the pieces of the puzzle that make up uh, the total cost of going to college. I've got a son who has become a very talented volleyball player. Played lacrosse a little bit early on, and I'll never forget the conversation he came into. Dad, you know, I don't think it's for me. I was like, you know what? That's fine. You know, I want you to be happy. My uh, wife, she is uh, the head volleyball coach at Butler University here in Indy. Miles, our son, he found a love in volleyball.
1: For him to play in a local tournament, what's it gonna out of pockets for you as you're talking
0: for me out of pocket, say for a weekend up in Chicago, it could be five, six hundred dollars for a weekend.
1: With gas, it may be a thousand dollars. Exactly. How many times a year is he doing that kind of stuff?
0: Probably three times. He's being recruited by a number of different colleges right now, like Pepperdine, UCLA, USC. Right now, he wants to go to California. So at the same time, you know, we know what the cost of out of state tuition is, and we know what the reality is of men's volleyball and the the number of scholarships they have to work with.
1: A lot of folks are in the assumption: my kid's a great player; he's going to get a scholarship. It's all done.
0: Ain't that easy? I mean, lacrosse, in a way, is similar to, to men's volleyball, but men's volleyball, I would say, is probably has less number of programs than uh, men's lacrosse at the NCAA level. For men's volleyball, for Division I programs, and they divide, combine Division I and Division II schools together for a national championship. I want to say most they can have is like 7.2 scholarships or something like that.
1: If you look at the Division I and Division II, a fully funded program, first of all, how many players are on a squad, a volleyball squad? 15 to
0: 20.
1: 15 to 20 on each team and a fully funded college program has 7.5 full scholarships is what he's saying to you.
0: You know, you get these players who say they're on scholarship, but they may be only getting like, you know, a couple thousand dollars.
1: Because the coach has got a whole team that he needs to be able to attract the most talented players. So if he gives 7.5 full scholarships to people, he's going to have a hard time rounding out a full team is what you're saying.
0: Obviously making our son realize that you're not going to get a full scholarship. <clears> That's <throat> not going to happen. So academics is so important to get those academic scholarships and any other scholarship you can find out there. It doesn't matter how talented he is. This is reality of what, how much money is available for these athletes.
1: If you were to look at academic scholarships versus athletic scholarship, it would be accurate to say the athletic scholarship will be the size of a McMansion versus the target for the academic scholarships would be the size of Falcons Dome. If you had a 22 rifle and you had to hit one building or the other, and if you hit one of the two, I gave you a scholarship for your kid to go to school, it would make a whole lot more sense to aim at the Falcons home stadium than at the McMansion. You got it. It seems to me that people need to understand it. You got to get them paid for. That's one thing. But then you got to calculate in what's the cost of him coming home on holidays, school breaks from Indianapolis to California. I mean, you're talking a flight is going to be maybe at 500 bucks or less.
0: Yeah, you got to. Yeah, you got to bank $500 around
1: that. And then he's got to get out there to get all this stuff every year. You know, do you drive that? Do you fly that? Do you, do, and then where do you store stuff if he decides to come home and work? So mm-hmm. all those things, I'm assuming, are part of that process of deciding where he goes.
0: Exactly. You know, we want him to pick the right school that's going to fit him academically, socially, athletically, everything. And long as they're in perspective, at the same time, he's got to understand the financial part of how this works as well. And that's a big piece that we're always trying to educate him on. <laughs>
1: when your son was born did you open a esa educational savings account or a 529 for him
0: 529 here in indiana yeah yeah and and i encourage that for all parents early as early on as possible
1: that allows you to to save depending on your income a certain amount of money per year with your child a 529 if you make over two hundred thousand dollars a year you can go to a 529 allows you to save more and it's tax-free savings That will allow you to pay towards the tuition. Now, if his son were to get a full scholarship, this is important for people to hear, you are allowed to take the amount of the scholarship out of the 529 and use it for whatever you want. It just has to be the exact same amount and there's no tax repercussions for that. So it is a. It's a great way for you to keep your money in your pocket and a great way to save up for college. But as soon as that child is born and it gets a social security number, you can open up a 529. So I, I wish that I had heard what I'm sharing with you now a whole lot earlier. I'm late to the game, but trying quickly to catch up. Dinner with three people dead or alive. Who would you want to have dinner with and why? First person
0: definitely would be my mom. I got the short end of the stick of not having the opportunity to get to know her. You know, my mom passed away when I was six years old, and I often quiz my brother and my two sisters about, you know, the opportunity. You know, what was she like? She'd be the first person. Martin Luther King probably would be the second. Have the opportunity to sit down and talk to him and just learn from him or just kind of hear his story from his mouth would be an unbelievable opportunity. Third person. It will be Dave York. To have any opportunity still to engage him would be, I would love it. I would just, I would treasure it.
1: We talked about who you'd have dinner with. How has your eating and training habits changed since your freshman year at Hobart?
0: <laughs> For the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and I, w- I wish it was different. Coach Edward Buff, uh, Jesuit preparatory school here in coaching Indianapolis.
1: La- coaching lacrosse?
0: Yeah, I'm the head lacrosse coach there. And I tell my players all the time, don't do as I do. (laughs) You need to do better. I know what I should be doing and how I can be doing it. It's the finding the time, honestly, in my crazy busy schedule to do things. I love to eat ribs, steaks. I'm a meat eater. I've turned to sports, you know, like tennis and bicycling, and I just don't do it enough. The mind knows what all I should be doing. The question is, I don't motivate myself enough to do it.
1: God forbid the doctors tell you you have two months to live and you're going to make video recording to play at your memorial service. So people are going to see you and hear you. Mm. And you're going to share three things that are most important to live an impactful life. What three things would you share?
0: Mm. Wow. Off the top of my head then. Okay. Always live life in a way that is fulfilling. One of the things that I've tried to do throughout my life is to engage people who are different from me so that I can learn from them, but also have them accept me for who I was. I can be an opposing figure when I come into a room because of my dark skin and my physical structure. I've found a way through the years to try to not let that intimidating factor to others. So when I talk to people, I, you'll find that I've always tried to engage people to, so that they can accept me for who I am in my mind and who I am as, in my character as opposed to what they see physically. And that's a challenge for all of us. I've tried to live my life by being open to others, getting to know others, and letting others get to know me. Another thing I would pass along, with, it's about enjoying life. It's about having experiences. It's about Helping others Some of the things we're doing here locally in Indianapolis, uh, for example, we bought a 100-year-old firehouse that we're in the process of renovating to use as a community center, build apartments in there and turn it and help transform a community. And these are things that I hope everybody finds a way to give back and to always help others. I think the third is have experiences. I didn't have to say yes to Lacrosse. But my participation in lacrosse has taken me so many places and has introduced so many people in my life who have been transformative in my life. Don't ever be afraid to take a chance on something different, something new. Um, as I've done that several times throughout my life, and it's taken me very far. As I look back to my life, I'm glad I said yes to Coach AC when he asked me to play lacrosse.
1: That was powerful. I want to thank you for. Uh for being transparent about you know, a lot of things that are going on in your life I, you know, even what you shared with the process of finding the right place for your son I think it's going to be a tremendous blessing for parents who are going through the same thing it's, it's not an easy time you want the best for your child but at the same time you know that you have more wisdom to your child so you got to set some boundaries for them so thank you for sharing that I need to find an excuse to come out there and oh, please. see what you guys are doing for sure You
0: got it. You are welcome to visit anytime. And when I'm in uh, the area, the Boston area, I'm going to visit you as well.
1: That's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. To hear more content like it, go to FredOpie.com. If you have questions about advertising and sponsoring this show, contact us at FDOPIE at gmail.com. That's FDOPIE at gmail.com. Start with your gift. It's a book for those with sports on the brain to get you to the place where you know what your gifts are. You have surrounded yourself with great mentors, you're trained to use your gifts, you love the work you do, and you are well compensating for serving others with your gift. And you're living and giving like no one else. It's my newest book and it's available on Amazon.com as a ebook or paperback.